On this episode of Careers Unfiltered, Bryce and I had the pleasure of speaking with an Eastman School of Music and Simon Business School alum, Judy Ricker. Keep listening to hear Judy share more about the beginning of her career as a professional musician and the journey that has led her to her current role as a strategic brand research consultant. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Careers Unfiltered. My name is Danae, and I'm joined with my co-host, Bryce. Hello, everybody. Hey, Bryce. Um, Today, we're really excited because we're joined with Judy Ricker, who is an alum from Eastman. She received her bachelor's with music education and went on to receive her master's in musical arts and performance and literature. Hi, Judy. Hi, Danae and Bryce. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm pleased to be here. (laughs) So do you mind telling us what life looked like after leaving Eastman? Like, what did you get into from there? Well, let me back up and say, when I went to Eastman, I thought that what I wanted to do was uh, play oboe in a symphony orchestra. And during my freshman year, I decided to switch to music ed. I still obviously was an intense uh, performer, but thought that I wanted to have that additional um, background and and experience in education. So I um, switched to music ed. I actually got a performance certificate at Eastman as well um, at my senior year. So upon graduation, I thought, well, I'll be teaching in public school. And uh, but an opportunity came up to audition for the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra in the oboe section. And I won that audition. Um, And uh, so my life started to be a little different from what I expected, but more like what I thought entering Eastman. In playing with the RPO, I met my future husband, um, Ramon Ricker, who who was also the professor of saxophone at Eastman and uh, remained professor of saxophone for uh, something like 40 years. So uh, he had the best saxophone job in the world here. Um, I loved playing. and But over time, I, I started thinking that, you know, um, I'm not sure this is what I want to do for the rest of my life playing in this orchestra or any orchestra. So it just so happened in about 1984, the Rochester Philharmonic asked my husband, Ray, to produce a children's record called My First Concert. It was the first of its kind. And um, by that time, I, beside playing, I was teaching at the Hochstein School, uh, playing with a woodwind quintet, the Antara Winds, which uh, I still perform with to this day. Uh, but anyway, my first concert came along, and it was the first recording for children that, um, well, it was a classical recording for children to introduce Tiny Tots uh, to the world of orchestra. It was conducted and narrated by Isaiah Jackson and a couple of kids, and it had an accompan- a book accompanying it. It was on LP. Okay, that's how long ago it was. It became very, well, the orchestra didn't have the, um, the means or the resources to market the book at the time, the recording at the time. And uh, we actually had invested some money into it. So I said, well, gee, you know, let me see if I can help with this. So I started going to libraries, finding children's stores and bookstores and started contacting people and marketing this book and it at, and recording, not just the book, it's the recording. And it actually became pretty successful 
in its day for a classical music recording. It sold about 10,000 copies, which was very good. Also, not because of me, but it had also made the New York Times best uh, gifts for children at Christmas in 1984. That was before I started marketing it. So it was a pretty successful endeavor. At that point, I started thinking about what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And I I thought, you know, this is really pretty interesting. And I kind of like this. So several things were going on at the same time, but I started exploring uh, what it would be like to actually change careers, which was a scary thing for me at that time. But I thought, let me go back to school and just learn about what I'm doing by seat of the pants here. And that's when I decided to um, enroll in the Simon School. Well, I you know, applied and was accepted. I took one course first and then matriculated. So, so you had been a member of, of the RPO for over a decade. You'd gone through all this intense conservatory training. Yep. And then to make that decision to go back to school, it's, it's a really interesting um, career path that, that, that I think is, is very unique and took a lot of kind of exploration and taking that first class. And it, it's, it's a little scary ju- jumping careers completely like that. Well, I didn't didn't jump immediately, okay? I took the first class, which, by the way, at, at that time, it was 1988, it was a computer class. And we've been, we had been using Macintosh computers from the day they came out, practically, in our house. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm having to learn how to write script and use an IBM. And I'm like, boy, this is weird. <laughs> Why don't oh, they wow. have icons? You know, um, yeah. but... Um, but yeah, Bryce, to your, to your question, it, um, I hadn't taken a math course since my junior year of high school, and I was in my mid-30s at this time, and, and I had to take the GMATs and all of those, mm-hmm. and, and the Simon School is a pretty intense quantitative school, as I'm sure you know, yeah. and I, so I studied, you know, I went back and, and studied for the GMATs and did actually really well. Um, which was lesson number one. And that is musicians and all of us don't realize the enormous number of transferable skills we have. Okay. Learning music at a very high level, at an intense level, teaches you how to problem solve, how to think, how to be creative. And that is one transferable skill that came in really handy. You know, when I started making this, I wasn't I wasn't ready to make a career change when I started at the Simon School. I was still playing with the orchestra. I played for 15 years, actually. And, uh, but when I was done, then it was the time to say, okay, what direction do I want to take here? And I, I'll never forget, I was talking to a friend also in the orchestra. He said, well, you know, you could do nothing and you'll know what you'll be doing for the next 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. Or you could take a chance and not know what you're going to be doing for the next 30 years. And um, I decided that it was, uh, you know, it was time. And some other things fell in line. I was, uh, uh, I met a person who was also an oboist, um, but was working in business at Kodak at the time. And we were working together, helping the RPO with some strategic planning. And she said, you know, you really should meet my old boss at Kodak. And I did. And, um, Things worked out, and so I started in the digital group at Kodak. And it was kind of weird because I was the only woman um, except for an admin, and I was the only non-engineer. 
And they thought I was pretty odd because mm. I had this music background, you know, um, with an MBA. And uh, so, but, you know, it, it, uh, it worked out really well. And I progressed through Kodak over the years. I continued to play with my quintet and, you know, freelance and stuff throughout un- until today. I mean, I still do. Uh, so, um, you never know the path that life is going to take for you. You just don't. And sometimes what you have to do is just prepare yourself for the contingencies and be ready to take the leap. Yeah, that's so true. And you had mentioned a little bit about how the skill sets transfer from your musical background and now into the roles that you were finding yourself at Kodak and your career since then. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about So you took that leap, right? And then you're working at Kodak and you're finding your footing there. What what started to surprise you while you were going through this transition? I guess, I don't know if it surprised me, but between the training I had at Eastman and the incredible education at the Simon School, I thought I was really equipped to do uh, the job that I was hired to do, which was market research. Um, I I always felt, because at the time, the Simon School was so highly quantitative that, um, and I majored, uh, I, I had concentrations in both marketing and finance, but I wasn't interested in pursuing a finance, you know, uh, career. The, quantitative nature of what I was learning, what I had learned at Simon School made market research a logical step to take. Um, and so, yeah, I found that I, um, I had tools that, um, you know, I, I guess I, I don't think it surprised me, but it, it did prepare me for this. Okay. Movie. Okay. Yeah. And it's probably reassuring to know that you went to school for X, Y, Z, and you're able to then just go straightly into work and have that foundation that helped you succeed with your, your next career move. But remember, um, things, nothing happens immediately. I mean, this opportunity happened because I had the training and the skills and I had a network that helped me. So meeting people, knowing people is always one of the best things you can do as you you move forward in your career. It's actually such a great point. Um, We talk quite a bit about how having that network and building it is so important, especially when you're in the job hunt, which um, we know a lot of students, they ask us, they're like, what can I do a job here? Or what about there? Or so on. And we always suggest, well, why don't you start reaching out on LinkedIn or just making connections, go to networking events, start building your network in any way that you can and keep those connections because that's really such a key component into all of this, like you mentioned. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody does anything on their own, right? So, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I was at Kodak for quite a while, um, seven years, I think. And they were going through some dramatic downsizing. You know, the organization from my perspective and from others made a lot of mistakes in the digital realm. You know, they were um, actually at the forefront of digital imaging. And uh, because of a lot of, uh, of decisions that were made, didn't capitalize on it as, as they should have. I went through the ranks of Kodak. I ended up uh, supporting the chief uh, marketing officer with brand and advertising research. And that's when I got really interested in that. Took on another position and a lot of layoffs were happening and I had I was forced to lay off people it was the first time I've ever had to do that and it was horrible 
So I got another opportunity and I left Kodak. Again, I had to take a leap. And this other opportunity was with a small family-owned company called um, the Gordon Black Corporation, which is a market research firm. I started there and it grew into the first research firm to seriously do online research, Harris Interactive. So I was there for quite a while, um, became the actually division president for brand and advertising research. We got a lot of Ogilvy, Ogilvy Awards and for advertising research. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it was, it was a really good time. But again, the company came to a point where they were going through a transition. And I had to make a decision to say, you know, am I okay with a company who's maybe not following in the same direction that I want to go or take a leap again? Mm -hmm. And so I decided um, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which my mom needed some help, um, to to take some time off. I, I just left. Okay. I quit. And um, again, the company was going through lots and lots of layoffs. I was not one of them. I ended up quitting because it's very stressful being in a company where you're having to lay off people again. Um, So I took some time and um, I actually did some consulting to Jiva Theater for a little over a year. I consulted in, um, in their fundraising area in development using the marketing skills that I had learned not only at the Simon School, but along the way. And that was great. It was just wonderful opportunity for me. And I learned an art form that I didn't know anything about previously, theater. Um, and they are, they are fantastic. It's, it's one of the best theater companies, I think, in the country. So, um, again, networking. Another opportunity came up to work remotely for a company in Milwaukee, a market research company who wanted to start a brand research practice. And so I worked for them for a while. So, but then, but all the time I, I continued to play. And now I feel like my career has come full circle because uh, Nazareth College asked me to teach oboe for them and, and uh, play in the Woodwind Quintet. And I'm doing that now. And I'm also um, teaching in a brand new, this is the second year of it, a master's program at the Eastman School, Master of Arts in Music Leadership. Okay, Master of Arts in Music Leadership. And I'm teaching a marketing for musical enterprises course for them. So it, it allows me to juxtapose these two worlds. Yeah, and at Eastman, they just launched um, just this year a combined MA, MBA program with Simon. Um, that's so correct. That's, that's really interesting paired with, with your own experience that now they're marketing that as a program in and of itself. Right. And in fact, um, I, I don't know if they used it, but they asked for my syllabus um, as part of that, uh, you know, application or discussion process. So and so what cool. the students are, the, the students uh, in this program and, and some students are taking it as a graduate elective, um, but their final project is to select a an arts organization in Rochester, anyone that they want. They have to justify why. And do a whole do a series of interviews with key decision makers, and then develop a marketing plan for that organization. They can they can make up a new program for the organization. They can do you know I don't care. Well, I do care, uh, but they can take it in whatever direction they would like, and um, and develop a marketing plan. So we are in the process of uh, the, going through the steps to 
that final plan, which they will give um, a presentation on the last uh, class, basically. So what they'll be doing is a comprehensive Word document plan, but then they're developing a presentation to the board of directors that they will give now virtually. Okay. That sounds like such like such a great hands-on experience for those students. They're well, able to I, dive right in. I hope so. And it's, it's a practical work. Mm-hmm. And so they're having to use market research a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're having to use, um, you know, some of the things they learn about brand and communications. And uh, the last year when we did it, um, I, the, the, the output was amazing. The result, they did just a fantastic job. And I expect that again this year as well. Yeah. And, and one of the things about education in the humanities, and that includes music as well as any other humanity is, is that sort of interdisciplinary. And as you mentioned earlier, building these transferable skill sets that really can be taken to, to just about any field using discipline, using um, good practice, knowing how to pick apart something to, to, to know what's important and what to really focus on out of a larger big, big picture, the, the small details that really matter. That's something that I think a humanities education does an especially good job of teaching. I, I absolutely agree with you. And uh, um, in fact, when I was um, considering this move, I actually sat down and said, what are the transferable skills that I have? You know, what, why me? Why should somebody hire me over somebody else? Right. And when you think about music, besides the discipline and the creative um, problem solving um, and all of the things that the teamwork, all the things that go into, you know, making a musician, a musician and a collaborator, those things are all important in business. And in fact, when people ask me, well, boy, music and market research, I don't, get the connection, I say they're very similar because in when you're studying a piece to perform, you, you're first of all confronted by this behemoth and like, how am I ever going to learn this by performance date? And so you step back, you start pulling it apart, you practice pieces of it, you put it together, um, you rework it, and eventually you present it, and that is uh, perform it. And the same thing happens in market research, right? You've got this big business problem, and you got to translate it into a research problem, and it looks like a big hairy thing that you'll never be able to solve. And you pull it apart, work on the pieces, you know, try to think creatively, put it back together, and then you usually present it you know, in some fashion. So there are a lot of similarities that are, are certainly, um, I think there are a lot of parallels. Yes, certainly. And, and as a performer myself, I've definitely found that in the business world and in the internships and jobs that I've had so far in my, my young career, um, there, there's definitely a lot of sort of performance aspects in business, as you mentioned. I, I definitely see that in, in my experience as well. Absolutely. You need to be able to get up in front of, you know, I mean, I've presented in front of, you know, a thousand people, you know, at the Advertising Research Foundation, for example, and you need to have that poise and that that self-confidence to be able to do that just as you do when you're performing music. I'd like to circle a little bit back around. So you had mentioned um, just the, the idea of changing your career and what that felt like. And I want to relate that to students who are maybe 
considering changing a major um, and exploring that, do you have any advice or any words of like comfort for them who are experiencing these feelings of like uncertainty and I don't know what comes next and that anxiety that can come with it? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think you need to, to really do some soul searching as to why you want to change that major. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, It needs to be something um, that you absolutely feel passionate about. And maybe the one that you're in, you are feeling uh, less inspired by, you know, I mean, I don't know what the reason might be. Okay. Sure. But it should be for the right reasons. Okay. And, um, but once you make the decision, you know, and it's like a, it's really interesting. You know, we are all, um, tormented by these decisions because we don't know what's going to come next. We don't know if we're going to be good at it. Okay. Um, but once you say you, you've done the soul searching, you said, what are the skills that I have that make, make it possible for me to make that? I mean, you really have to analyze that analyze what you do, what you want to do, what it will take to do it, you know, and then take the leap, you know, if it's right, but you shouldn't do it lightly. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that absolutely does answer the question. I think um, that's a good point. Like you need to have that fire that's fueling the passion to make the change. Like you don't want to just make a change to make a change because then it's only going to probably complex things even further. Right, exactly. Well, you know, I uh, heard uh, Governor Cuomo yesterday talking about his brother, Chris, who was a CNN mm-hmm. anchor, Yeah. Right? And he said that uh, his father, you know, former governor, Mario Cuomo, insisted that Chris go to law school. And Chris was working in a law firm and he hated it, you know, and, and he <laughs> yeah. talked to his brother, Andrew, and he said, I really want to be a journalist. And Andrew said, well, you have no skills. You have no background, <laughs> you know, and but he did, you know everything that he had learned and been doing in law school actually was quite transferable. And of course, he's been very successful as a result. Mm -hmm. So that's just a little aside that you can take out if you want. I love that. I think it just goes back to that old saying of when there's a will, there's a way, right? Like if you want to make it happen, like you'll figure it out. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, uh, um, and I don't mean to go on so long, sorry. Oh, it's okay. Um, When I was at um, Kodak, um, I, we were going around very early in digital photography and talking to different colleges about uh, digitizing libraries. You know, think of that, right? That's but cool. It was, yeah, it was the early 90s. And so the director of education at Kodak and I would go visit colleges and sit down and talk with them. And we were at Harvard and talking to the admissions person for Harvard Medical. And that person um, said that they had a student that came back and said, you know, I've always wanted to ask this. I'm graduated now. I'm a doctor. You know, why did Harvard accept me? You know, a dozen other schools rejected me. And why did Harvard accept me? And they said, well, because we look for excellence. And it seems that this guy was a champion skydiver or something like that. And so they knew that he was accustomed to achieving in one field, and they uh, they thought that because of that, he would be able to achieve in the medical field as well. I hired a person at Harris Interactive many years ago who was a young um, Russian immigrant. Her, she came when she was age 18 
spoke really flawless, flawless English, and she was only in her early 20s. And she'd never done market research, but she was a champion ballroom dancer. You know, and I, I remembered that, you know, that story and I hired her and she was great. You know, So you just never know, you know. Yeah. And I, I think that your story and, and the stories that you've shared with us today are really such great examples of maybe that these sort of these our skill sets are a lot more transferable and malleable than we might think. And, and I think that's a great takeaway uh, from this episode. Oh, thank you. I, I absolutely believe in that. I, I absolutely do. Not only for myself, but, you know, uh, the people I've met over the years, you know, we're not, we're not monoliths. You know, we are not, um, you know, mm-hmm. our brains are, um, are much more flexible and creative than we give them credit for, I think. I agree. Yeah. And I I think that's a a great place to wrap up this episode. So I'd just like to thank you, Judy, for taking the time to share with us all the stories and your own career path. Um, I found it personally really inspiring as someone studying economics and music uh, to see that you can successfully do both. So that's excellent. Always love having musicians on the podcast. So thank you so much. Oh, thank Thank you, you, Judy. And thank you, Danae. I appreciate it. Thank you. Great. If you like what you're hearing, give us a rating on your podcast listening platform of choice, subscribe, and share us with your friends. Thank you so much, and see you next time on Careers Unfiltered.